0: All right, hey! It is great to see you guys here today. My name is Jim, one of the pastors here, and thank God for air conditioning. Uh, I gotta say, um, hey, um, we just got back from a retreat. Folks are still there, but really delighted that you showed up today. We'll actually have some pizza as well as some cookies and brownies outside in the courtyard uh, later on during the service, as well as Intro to Hope for those of you who are new and you'd like to hear more about our church and our journey together. Uh, we've actually been in a sermon series called True Faith. Can I hear you say True Faith? And we've been exploring, what does it look like to actually have faith be something tangible? What does it look like for us to exercise this thing? And that faith actually works itself out. Now, there's this saying uh, that's gone on on in my household. Oftentimes, I'll say to my wife, I'll say, like, hey, I think today's the day. Today's the day where I'm going to start working out better and eating healthier. Uh, Vegetables um, and fruit, like, are going to be part of my diet now. And I'm I'm basically going to get in tip-top athletic condition. And uh, my wife will say, yeah, well... Talk is cheap. Has anyone ever heard that phrase, talk is cheap, before? Have any of you ever used that phrase? Uh, no, you don't have to say that. Have anyone used that on your spouse before? Talk is cheap. Ever said that before? Yeah, right? I mean, many of us know this phrase that talk is cheap. And the reason why we, I think that this phrase actually encapsulates so much of what we're talking about. And by the way, if you're new, welcome. So glad you made it. And if you're not a Christian, um, so glad you made it. Uh, actually, today, the sermon is not for you if you're not a Christian. I just want you to know that. But you can lean in to hear, what do Christians really believe about this money thing? And how do we use this money thing? And here's what Christians believe. That talk is cheap when it comes to our faith. What's interesting is a few years ago, there's a book written called UnChristian, And in the book, um, they examined what do, what do people believe about Christians? What do non-Christians, people outside the church, believe about Christians? And two of the top things that people would say that Christians that, that were used to describe Christians was basically, number one, was judgmental. And the second was hypocritical. Now, why is that? Well, it's because Christians tend to be judgmental and hypocritical. And the reason why, oftentimes, I believe, is because so much of what we do as it relates to spirituality centers around talking and what we say. We're just constantly talking. And here I am, even as a pastor who's standing in front of you and just talking, many words. And I can even give this veneer just with the words that I share about how holy or godly I am. And as a result, what ends up happening is we become such experts at talking and so little at actually doing. And this whole series has basically been, what does it look like to make our faith tangible, to go beyond simply talking? And one of the things that we've been talking about is that money is the most tangible thing that we can actually use to exercise faith. It's the way that we actually do this. Now, I've used this image here, right? And it's the image of uh, basically a weight room, right? In this weight room, right? Um, When I talk about this idea of growing in one's faith, um, all of my intentions, even that example that I give you, all of my intentions can be, I wanna get in prime physical condition, and I wanna, you know, my heart, the words that I use, I say it constantly. Again, my words might reflect a certain kind of intention but my actions and my behavior and my diet and the way that I actually live my life actually echoes a very different reality. And one of the things that we've been saying, and this is why this might be uncomfortable for some of you, maybe you're new to our church, maybe you've come these past couple of weeks and you're like, he's talking about this again. Yes, I am. What I'm basically doing is I'm encouraging each one of us to begin to exercise muscles to use the most tangible thing that we have, money to see whether we truly believe what we say we believe. Because at the end of the day, talk is cheap. And we also have phrases like, put your money where you're mouth is. Have you heard that phrase before? Why? Because money, again, is that tangible thing that really demonstrates what we're all about. Now, the passage that was read earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches on this, and check out what he says, right? He says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Now, again, Jesus, amongst the two top things that he would talk about would be poverty as well as money. Now, why is that? Well, he's about to show you, right? Because he basically says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, look at what Jesus says. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, isn't that interesting? It's not like he says, you cannot serve, right? Because he's talked about basically serving two different masters. He says, you can't serve both God and the Roman Empire, which was the empire that was, had all of the political, military strength and, uh, and economic capital in the world at that time. He doesn't, he doesn't pit God against the Roman Empire or God against Caesar. He pits it against money. Now, why is that? Why money, of all things? Well, because money... From the moment that time began, money is emblematic for everyone across human history of what is valuable, what is unique, what gives us a sense of security and worth and control. And so when when Jesus is juxtaposing God versus money, he's basically saying, hey, this one thing that across time, continents, and places, wherever, money is that one thing that is so emblematic for all of life. In in other words, this is another way I'd like to put it. Money is actually a proxy for all of life. A few weeks ago, we talked about how there are three things that we can spend, our time, our energy, and our money. But if you think about it, time, have you ever heard this phrase, time is money, especially in New York, right? Let's just take a cab because time is money. Uh, Have you ever heard that phrase before? Why? Because time, oftentimes, money is so um, uh, equated with time, especially in this city. Or energy. Most of the energy, the energy capital that you and I have when it comes to it, is spent on making money, especially in this city. In many ways, money is the one thing of time, energy, and money that really is a proxy for all of life. And so when we've been talking about what does it mean to have tangible faith, not just faith that's just words. And believe me, I am so good at just words, but something really tangible. Because I can say all day, God is the most important person in my life, like this relationship with God is the most important thing in my life, but at the end of the day, that's just words. And the one thing that is most emblematic of whether it's tangible, whether God truly is the most important person in my life, is my money and where my money goes, and where my heart is. Now, notice what Jesus says here, though, right? Because money's a proxy for life. And we talked about this last week. He doesn't say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And this is how most of us think about our mind. We think, oh, you know, the things I care about, that's where my money inevitably will go. But Jesus actually doesn't say it that way. He actually says, where your treasure is, where your money goes first, that's where your heart actually follows. Now, why does he do it that way instead of where your heart is, there your treasure is? And most of us would like to believe, oh, yeah, why? Because most of us have the best intentions. In fact, most of us would say, like, I care about things bigger than myself. I care about others more than I care about myself. Uh, and I wouldn't doubt those intentions one bit. Many of us would say it with our words and even with the inclinations of our hearts. Every part of me wants to say these words like I want to get in tip-top physical condition, right? Those are my words. That I say. Those are the best of intentions. But when it comes down to it, Jesus is basically saying, no, 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 no. Like, you see, money is actually the greatest indicator of where your heart is. It's not that your heart feels one way and then your treasure follows. It's actually where your treasure is. That becomes the biggest indicator of where your heart truly is. Because money is a, pro- is a proxy for your life and of mine. Now, I wish that weren't the case. But especially in this city where money, I mean, It continues right? It continues to be the greatest source of anxiety, especially in this city. Uh, you start looking on uh, Street Easy or Zillow for, uh, you're trying to move and you're looking for an apartment or whatever, and you see the rental prices and you're, like, money begins to taunt you, doesn't it? Right? There are moments, right, where you go and you realize even Shake Shack and Chick-fil-A, which are supposed to be like, like affordable options in the city, are actually really, really expensive. And you're like, uh, I'll just. T- what happened to the dollar menu at Wendy's? Like, hey, right? I mean, this is this is what happens to us all the time. Money just continues to taunt us. Whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little, it's you don't have enough, or you could be making more, or you could do more with this thing. And what Jesus is basically saying is he's he's basically talking. and He's putting a target on money. He's saying like, you see how central money is. Doesn't matter what age you are, money is so central. That's why he pits. God versus money. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's what we've basically been saying, right? And this challenge came last week. Here was the challenge. The challenge was to number one, to start tithing, to give 10% gross if you you aren't already. Uh, Now, 10% gross, uh, 10% throughout the scriptures is usually the baseline of what it means to start with to give one's first fruits. Now, there's other percentages that scholars have talked about, and we can go down those different rabbit trails, but at the end of the day, 10% is, this, is the percentage throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. However, even in the New Testament, there's this belief, of course, that everything belongs to God, so we're just stewards. But at the end of the day, 10%, I know, in a place like New York, it also feels sacrificial. Can I get an amen, right? Like 10%, whether you have a little bit of money, Or a lot of money, that feels like a lot. And so the invitation for every one of us is what does it look like for each one of us to take this step to start tithing? To do so as an exercise of tangible faith. Now, I know some of you are like, I can't believe he went like the first 10 minutes, he's already going into this. (laughs) And I I know, and here's what I've said the past few weeks. I don't want this from you. Like if you need to tithe to a different organization or church, that's totally cool. It's not important where you give for me. It's that you give, and the question, and like I said, like it's not like my salary it fudges or changes. It's not like I'm gonna, you know, somehow personally benefit from this because I want you to know, um, and I've, I've told you this before. My wife is independently wealthy, so I don't need you guys, right? So sorry, I don't mean that. That sounded really harsh, but what I meant by that, right? Like, is like I, I, I rely on my wife. So, with that said, like. I, I don't want this, I don't want anything from you. I really want this for you. And to tithe, to begin to exercise faith. Now, again, we talked about how this is different than charitable-based giving, right? The past few months, we've raised support. We've raised over $100,000. Our congregation has raised over $100,000 for Ukrainian refugee relief, missions, endeavors all around the world, um, Hope for New York, all sorts of causes. And I wanna say thank you for that. What I'm talking about is you exercising faith. Believing with the most tangible thing you have, which is money, not just words, but with your money. Whether you truly believe God to be who he says he is. Now, the challenge has been to start tithing if you aren't already. If you're already tithing, to start giving 1% more. Remember the image of like going right into a workout? Here I am, and I realize some of you are already feeling pretty uncomfortable because you're doing the mental calculation as we speak of 10% gross, why not 10% net? And you're probably like, oh my goodness, like that's a lot of money if you have a little bit of money or if you have a lot of money. Either way, it's a lot of money for every single one of us. But here's what I wanna encourage. If we're growing in faith, if we're people who are being invited to develop, I wanna challenge you to give 1% more to start believing that God really is who he says he is. Now, lastly, some of you might be like, you know what, What, the background that I grew up in, like money, the way that we manage money, it wasn't about generosity at all. Like I am starting not from like third base, but I'm starting like learning how to play baseball for the first time or something like that when it comes to money and how to manage money. Well, we have a course that's being offered and it's starting in June online and it's called Learning How to Manage Your Money. (laughs) And it's about learning how to manage your money. So if those of you, any principles that you wanna learn around how to manage money, it's taught by Barnaby Lowe. He works in finance here. He's part of our church. He's one of our leaders here. We'd love for you to take that. We wanna come alongside you. Instead of just saying all this stuff about money, we wanna come alongside you in this. Now, for most of us, the culture around us, this is generally the way that people tend to approach money. Here it is. It's basically, first you spend right? You get money, then you spend it. Then you save, you save whatever you can after that. And then maybe once in a while, if you've got a few bucks in your pocket, then it's basically, okay, then I will give then. I mean, most of the world, most of New York, this is how we approach money when it comes down to it. We spend, we save, and we give. Now, there's a part of me, even apart from my faith, where I kind of look down on that because I'm like, ah, oh, man, like you don't need that. You don't need to spend that. And so as a result, and especially my background, like, you got to understand, like, I came from, like, this immigrant background, so everything was about penny-pinching. My father came, and he's constantly, I came to this country with $80 in my pocket, you're not getting anything, right? Like, that was kind of like, that. And look at what I've built, and you're not, you know, you need to work for it, and that was basically the mentality for me. So at a very young age then, my mentality was basically, we'll never have enough money. We'll never have enough. So for most of my life, here is basically the rubric that I would use when it came to money. It was save first, then spend, and then we'll just give whatever we can. But saving was better. And I would look down upon people who spent more I'd be like, why are you spending it on the frivolous clothes and things like that? But instead, I would save and I would have this badge of honor like I was someone who was, who was just like, really wise steward as it came to these things. I took pride in saving. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary, which is graduate school for uh, theological graduate school, like, I was, I was in seminary, and um, I, I realized there was a hack around not having to spend money on food, and it was basically at the cafeteria. Whenever closing time was about to happen, they would take these large trays of food, you know, and they'd usually throw them out and stuff. So, uh, at the like so at the end of the day like the cafeteria was about to close and I I would always go in kind of towards the end and I'd be like um, hey so can I throw that food out for you <laughs> and uh, I became known at the seminary shortly thereafter <laughs> That's the guy who's taking all the excess food. So what I would do is I would take all the leftovers and I would put it um, inside, I would take the, the trays and I'd put all the leftover food and I'd put it into the communal refrigerators for other students as well as myself to eat. Um, I was basically like the Robin Hood of Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, you know? Um, Sorry, maybe I was yeah. I'm puffing myself up a little bit too much, but I mean, this was my mentality, like saving, like making, making as much as I can. I, um, you know, our church just went on a retreat. When I when I first moved to the city, and I've told the story of how like I moved here, I raised seventy five hundred dollars a year, and so that first year, so I lived off of seventy five hundred dollars my first year in New York City. I was living in Flushing with two guys, paying two hundred dollars in rent and uh, eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly, and eating lots of leftovers from, I was interning at a church, and the church was not, the reason why I had to raise $7,500 for the year to live there was, uh, well, to live in the city was because the church that I was at, they hired me to be an intern who raised my own support, you know, that's how poor our church was, and so here I was then, this is what I would do, so I I was tasked with um, planning our young adult retreat, And so our young adult retreat was basically 20-somethings, many of whom, and it was this mixed group, because the church that we lived in, like I said, it wasn't a very lucrative church uh, when I got there, but it was this mixture socioeconomically. So there were a lot of um, young adults that didn't have as many means. And then there were young adults who were young professionals who had just moved to the city, who had a lot more disposable income and money. And so basically, so there's these two groups, and I just remember, I'm I'm, like, I, like, mentality-wise, I definitely related more to the group that didn't have money. Because again, I just didn't, I, I didn't have that much money. So I remember, so I was planning this retreat. Um, there were something like 90 people that, uh, 90 people that were registered for this retreat. And so I bought exactly 90 disposable cups, like exactly 90. So I bought 90 cu- Now keep in mind, this is not like like a bunch of kids or you, there's like, these are adults, right? It's about 90 cups. So at the beginning of the retreat, I'm like, hey, guys, uh, just want you to know, like, um, hey, we've only got 90 cups and we've got 90 people in this room. And so every single one of you, like for the whole weekend, you just need to write your name on the cup. If you somehow mistakenly discard your cup or lose your cup or something happens to your cup you might get dehydrated this entire weekend, you know? <laughs> like I was just, and it was just kind of like this, you know? And then everyone's like, uh, is this guy for real right now? And I was like, hey, uh, yeah, so, so everyone just, here's a Sharpie, just go around and write write your name on these cups and stuff, right? So, you know, like a few hours pass, and this one guy who was part of the camp that I think he was working in finance or something, so he was a young adult, who was working in finance, probably making a six-figure salary or something. He comes up to me like, like, just a few hours in. He's like, hey, Drew, can we talk? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how are you enjoying the retreat? He's like, yeah, this is, you know, a little different than what I'm used to and stuff. And then he says to me, he goes, he goes, hey, listen, I just want you to know um, if, if, uh, if you're short like $10 to buy more cups, I'll just, I'll donate that $10, dude. I Just want you to know that. I was like, It's amazing. Okay. All right. Thank you. You know, it was just this moment of like, I mean, but I just want you to know, like, this was my mentality. I was like, you know, some of you in the room are like, I would have donated $25. Um, But like, that was my mentality. And I would use that almost like as a badge of courage, like saving. That's, that's what it's all about. These people who spend frivolously and waste money here and there. I can't believe them. And you know, what's interesting is I could actually use scripture to back this up. Because in the scriptures, like in the book of Proverbs, there's tons of passages that talk about saving. I mean, check this out. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21, uh, verse 20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Proverbs, of course, is the wisdom literature. It's wise to save. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous, Proverbs 13, 22. Saving, leaving a legacy for generations. You know, so when I read these passages, I'm like, yeah, do you see? Like my, my natural save, cost, saving tendencies, like it's like a badge of courage, a badge of honor, a badge of like really following the God way. But you know what's so interesting? Because, right, there's spending and saving. But check out this parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 12. And look at how Jesus starts this parable. He says, Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of, what's the word there? Of greed. Of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, here's where Jesus is basically going to talk about this thing called greed. And he's talking about, he's saying, watch out for this. Now, notice the story that he's going to use. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man, this person's already wealthy, yielded an abundant harvest. Maybe his stock market went up, didn't control it, but somehow harvest, amazing. Look at what happens. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He's made this incredible surplus Now, look at what happens. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Now, honestly, as I read that, I'm like, this guy's pretty wise. He's following that Proverbs principle. He's saving. He's not spending it frivolously. Maybe the latter half of this passage will talk about spending it. But he's basically, he's saving. He's being wise. He's being a wise steward. You have plenty, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What's this guy doing wrong? I mean, come on. Jesus, you're telling this parable. You're saying, watch out for all kinds of greed. This guy is doing what Proverbs 21 has talked about, of saving. What's going on? Now, look at what Jesus says. The story continues. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be taken from you. Demanded from him. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What is going on? You see, on one hand, I have this elevated view of saving so that I look down upon those who spend, who don't have this immigrant hustle that I do. And I can look down on them and say, like, there's such a mismanagement of wealth there. But Jesus' example of greed, the parable that he gives, is someone whose sin is not spending. It's actually saving. You see, because spending and saving are two sides of the same coin when it comes to money and greed. Because both of them are oriented around me, my fears, my anxieties, my control, my agency, my power. And the one thing that Jesus is basically saying, see, the thing that flips money on top of his head, the way that money continues to entangle us, the way that money continues, especially in the city to tell you, you don't have enough, you could be making more. What, what are you, crazy? You wanna, you wanna do that with your money? The one thing that we have at our disposal as people of faith It's to give. It's to throw money right back in its face and saying, you have no control over me. It's to give it to God and to say, my fears, my anxiety, I'm free from all the trappings that greed has, which are so hard for us to decipher in our own souls, isn't it? I mean I look down upon those who spend frivolously and I say like look how righteous I am with my with my saving techniques but don't you see like even me saying I save and look at how great I am it really is a form of greed it's a form of me thinking that I can control my own destiny that I'll never have enough and I better save and I this is the story for most of my life I'll never have enough you know, even now, I've come a long way from that time when I was an intern back in 2001, um, making so little, and I make more now, and I've, I've shared how much my salary is uh, publicly with our church. Um, like, I've come a long way, and I have way more wealth now, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, the impulse to save in me, the impulse to, to really Be greedy is so alive in me. And that's why when Jesus is talking, he's saying, you see, instead of saving or spending first, really the key is to give and then to save and then to spend. Give, save, spend. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, give, save, spend? You see, giving is first. Giving is first because it's the one way where we relinquish control over money and we say greed has no place in my heart or my life. Now again, if you're not a Christian here, welcome. If you haven't been listening this far, this is what Christians believe. That the first thing we do with our money is we give. The first thing. Because we believe we live for something bigger than ourselves. We believe that it's not simply about making more and more money for myself and saving it for myself and future generations. That's not the only thing. See, it's not to say that, say that saving is an evil thing or that spending is an evil thing. It's to say that, no, no, the one thing that we have is to give shows us at the end of the day is that the most tangible way that we exercise our faith, to give and to save and to spend. Now, when my son David um, was six years old and he started to read, he, uh, we actually made him three jars, and the jars basically said give save, and spend, and what we would do is whenever he would earn kind of money or he would receive money, we would basically just give him some coins, and so we said, hey, to give, um, you give 25%. The reason why was because it was easy to give quarters. Uh, (laughs) He's he's sitting right here, (laughs) so he would give, so he'd put 25 cents in, you know, and then, we'd be like, and then, you know, he'd save 25%, and then he'd have 50, 50% to, like, to spend, you know. And so he had these different, and so we would give him, you know, give, save, spend. Like, this was the method that we had for him. So from the, his earliest days, this is what he was learning. And he can fact check me if, you, if he wants. He's sitting right here. So then when he started to learn how to do, like, addition and subtraction, we actually, we moved, we transitioned from coin-based, uh, um, like, coins here in, in jars to actually a ledger. And so he has this ledger where, and I wish I should, would have shown you guys a picture of it because um, whenever he receives money then, now, David, how much do you give first now? I have a ledger. Yeah, Avery has a ledger too now. 20%? 20 cents? Yeah, he gives, he gives 20%, so he gives. So whenever he receives something like a gift from his his uh, from his grandparents or from, you know, like he earns, right now, like he he's, Uh, This might be TMI, but I'll just tell you, like, he earns a dollar every time he gets like 100% on one of his tests. Sorry if that seems kind of like Tiger Parent-ish. We just thought, like, it's fair. Like, this is his job right now. His job is to do well in school, right? So your job is to do well in school. So, but here's the thing, like, but David doesn't like doing math a lot of times. So sometimes he'll just be like, ah, forget. It. I got, you know, even if he gets 100%, like, he forgets about it. Then later on when he wants to buy something, he's like, oh, but I got 100%. It's like, hey, that expired. It expires after 24 hours, you know? Yeah, I know. Sorry, David. I know. Um... So, but in his little ledger, he's constantly writing how much money he has. So he's got this whole give ledger. He's got this whole save ledger and he's got this whole spend ledger. So while we were on this retreat, actually just recently, we we're on this retreat and uh, Ivy, who many of you know, she's part of our church. She's blind. She was on this retreat and we were walking to the gift shop. And so we were in the gift shop. And so like I was walking her to the gift shop and she just wanted to check out some of the little kind of jewelry that was there. So she was like feeling through the j- jewelry. And then my, my son David was also in the gift shop and he comes running to me and he's like, he's like, Appa, can I, can I get this? stuffy, um, you know, like a little stuffy. I said, can I get this stuffy? And I said, buy it with your own money. That's what I said to him. And then uh, Ivy, she laughs out loud, and she's like, he's just a kid. And I'm like, yeah, he's a kid who's got his own ledger, okay? Like, he's got his own ledger. He can figure it out if he wants to buy it, you know? And um, now, it, it, I'm not telling you this story to say like, hey guys, look at how cool our family is. Like we, we do these give, save, spend thing. I'm saying this because here's what I know. I know that if, and we have like, you know, the first of every month, we have the money taken out immediately to hope and to other charitable causes that we support. We have, and we, like, I say that not to say like, look at how great I am. I say that to say to you like, If if that weren't the case, if I didn't set it up that way, I'd be saving that money like crazy. And I'd be so worried about the future. I'd be so like just holding on to it, thinking like of, I'll never have enough. And it's an act of faith for all of us, doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, to actually exercise faith. You know, there's this other passage that kind of reminds me, actually, of my childhood. And it's this passage in Isaiah chapter 55. Um, Check out this. God is giving a metaphor for what life with him versus life apart from him. And look at what he says. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. You know, God's giving this metaphor. He's saying, like, listen, the, way that, the ways of the world that you are following, the things that you think captivate your heart, you're, you're just so satisfied with things that really aren't that satisfied. Come and eat what is good. And, and, you know, in this passage, this metaphor, you know, I was thinking, like, as a kid, one of the exceptional places for us to go when we were kids was this place called Sizzler. Sizzler was like a level up from a fast food, McDonald's. It was like Sizzler. And Sizzler had these buffets. And at these buffets... Now, the thing about Sizzler is they had this, like, this incredible tasting bread. It was buttery. It was great. Diane, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The Sizzler <laughs> bread is... Off the chain, and so we would get I, like I would fill my plate with all sorts of bread whenever I'd go to Scissor because this was like you know, gotta understand this is once in a few years we're going to Scissor. So I would go. I remember the first time I went, I'm like this bread is amazing. So I fill it with bread, and I remember my father. I came back with this plate full of full of bread, and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And I was oh, I'm I'm just I just like this bread, <laughs> like it's it's really good. And then my dad is like he's like Hey. I didn't bring you. I'm not paying all this money for you to eat bread. Go eat the more expensive stuff. (laughs) And so I'd be like but I like this bread, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I would divvy up my, the bread amongst the brothers, and then we'd go, and we'd pack the plate full of, like, meat and the expensive stuff, you know, and it was just funny, like, I, I just remember that image, because it was so emblematic of, like, the childhood that I have, but also, in many ways, it's kind of like, but, you know, my dad was basically saying, like, hey, why, why are you satisfied with the stuff that isn't really that costly and good? Why don't you eat what is good, and I think when it comes to money, I think for many of us, you know, like, the reality is whether you have a little bit of money or a lot of money, like, every single one of us greed, whether it's in saving or spending, like, again, this city, there's never enough, right? I mean, let's be honest. We, we always know someone who makes more than us, or we always, right, when we look and we covet as we look through, you know, um, Street Easy or Zillow or whatever, and we're just kind of like, oh, man, I wish I had that kind of money. And I mean, there's ways in which there's this... Ways that money continues, like there's never enough. Whether you have a little bit of money or a lot of money, there's this anxiety, there's this feeling of like, gosh, will there ever be enough? And you know what's interesting is God is here, the one who owns everything, created everything, has everything in his hands. He's like, why, do you, what do you, why are you satisfied with that kind of life? kind of life where, you, like, the way that you live, the way that you live shackled by money, the way that you live shackled by fears and anxieties, he's like, come and eat what is good. Come and eat what is good. I think that's the question though, right, when it comes down to faith? Like, cause some of us, maybe we're not willing to put our money where our mouth is, cause maybe we really don't trust that God is who he says he is. Maybe we, we, we don't trust that when he's saying, come eat what is good, that he's really inviting us to something different or better. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he, when he teaches on the, the center of what the Christian faith is all about, Jesus and what he means to us and what he's done on our behalf, there's this passage where, check out the mental kind of logic of what he talks about when it comes to Is God good and is he trustworthy? Look at what he says, Romans chapter eight. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? He's talking about these things, the story of the Christian good news. What should we say in response? He says, if God is for us, if he's for us, who can be against us? If he's for you, if he's for me, who can be against us? And look what he says, how will he who did not spare his own Son?" The God who owns everything, created everything, who did not even withhold his own son, how will this God not also freely give us all things? How will this God not be a God who is for you, who's something as little as money? Isn't that what we're all longing for, though? To be able to entrust our lives to something or someone bigger than ourselves? to entrust even our money, our financial futures, our earning potentials, our relationship status. See, money becomes a proxy for all of these different kinds of anxieties that we feel. And the invitation of God is to say, will you surrender to him? Will you entrust him with even the thing that's so tangibly the thing that's most hardest to give away? want to pray for us as we close, if you would open up your hands in a posture of surrender, because really, you know, we've been talking about money, but isn't this really what it's all about? It's all about surrendering, surrendering our past, our present, our future, to say, Jesus, your way, not my way. I entrust my life to you, the one who is good and true, the one who cares for me. We surrender to you. We want to make room for you to come and meet us in this place. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.